The book of Colossians, we want to start preaching verse by verse through this book of the Bible together. All the Bible's good. It's all good. It's what we need to feed on. It's what we need to listen to and hear. The book of Colossians is a unique book in a variety of ways. The Apostle Paul wrote to seven churches, at least what's contained in the Bible. And the Apostle John wrote to seven churches as well, at least what's contained in the Scripture. Both of them wrote to Ephesus, which is a unique little fact in the Bible. But both of them had a letter that I think was very prophetic, both John and the Apostle Paul, concerning the days, the last days of the church. Everybody doesn't subscribe to the nature that what John wrote to the church of Laodicea was a specific message, not just to that local church, but also very prophetic of the last days of the church. But I, I do believe that. I believe Laodicea, that church in the book of the Revelation, is a picture of, of what's happening today in our last days world of the church. And in reference to that, I think there's so many things that you can find since that was the last church that John wrote to. I think there's so many things that you can find in that message that would be, all the Bible's applicable to us, but in that, in that message that really should be resounding in our ears about the timing that we live in. But the unique thing about the book of Colossians is that it's very much like Laodicea. And I'll show you why. This is just overview this morning as we, as we look uh, before I get in the message of the verses. In the book of Colossians, look at chapter 2 and verse number 1. There is a strange relationship between the church at Colossae to the church of Laodicea, which I believe makes it very important prophetically applicable to the day in which we live in as a church today. Colossians 2 verse 1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. You see that? He's connecting the battle that he's trying to fight or the things that he's trying to help the Colossians with, with the same thing he's trying to help the church of Laodicea with. The last chapter of the book of Colossians, if you would go there in chapter 4, the Bible says in verse number 13, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea. That's the second time he mentions Laodicea, but he, he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus and the church which is in his house, verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Whatever the connection is, the Apostle Paul is wanting both of these churches to read the same letter to get the same instruction because evidently they have similar conflicts and needs. 
Would you agree with that? I, I would hope you would. And, and we know what Laodicea's problem was. So I think, it, now another reason you say, well, how, why, why does he keep mentioning Laodicea with, with Colossians? Because Laodicea is just about 11 miles away. So these churches were not only similar probably in their needs, in their conflicts, but they're also very similar in their geography. They're very close together. And so I think what we have here given to us by the Holy Ghost in this letter has a very certain application to our hearts. Also, this is a very unusual letter for another reason. Most of the churches, or if not all the churches that Paul's going to be writing to, he had a part in being the founding pastor. He was one that was preaching there. The church at Colossae is a little different. When you look at verse number, uh, where is it? Verse number three, he says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have to all us. So Paul is hearing about this. It's not something that he saw or experienced evidently while he was there. I'll show it to you again. Verse number seven. Or verse number eight, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. This Epaphras brother here had to declare to the Apostle Paul the things of the goings on here at the church in Colossae. In addition to that, in chapter 2, verse 1, that we started to read, but I didn't finish it. For I would, verse number 1, Colossians 2, 1, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as, as have not seen my face in the flesh. So here we have a little unique thing here in the epistle of Paul. It looks like that most of these people, not all of these people, had not seen him, that he was not there when they put faith in Christ, that someone had to tell him about the ministry of this church. You say, well, then why would, would the Apostle Paul be writing to a church or having the care of, of, of a church that maybe he did not start or even preach at? And the truth of that is that the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, that God gave to the Apostle Paul the care of all the churches. That's a very unique thing. Paul had a burden not just for the churches that he had started or preached in, but he had the care of them all because he had a unique ministry given to him as an apostle to the Gentiles. And he even says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number uh, 24, he talks about the fact, if you look there, he said, who now rejoice in my... Colossians 1.24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul, even though maybe he may not have started that church, may not, he may not even preach there, he may not have led these people to Christ, but God had given Paul a ministry to them. Very unique church, very unique letter. And I want to look at this together for the next several weeks. Verse number one, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God 
and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. The first thing I want to say about this letter, this letter is filled with thanksgiving. Paul is thanking God for the Colossians. He says it again in verse number 12, giving thanks. You know, I think in the last days of the church, we should not be begrudging everything or being down in the mouth. We ought to be giving thanks for what we have and giving thanks for the brethren that are still faithful. Those that we can go to church with. All of us can count people that are a burden to us. All of us can count people that have broken our hearts. But oh, in the last days, I think we need to make some time for giving thanks to God for those that have not broken our hearts. And for those that are an encouragement to us. And those that are a help to us and an example to our life. This epistle begins with Paul thanking God. You know, that's a good way to begin your day. That's a good way to begin your worship. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Oh, we are so backslidden when we are not thankful. That's why I try to preach on, I'll preach on thankfulness more, but I wind up finding myself preaching on people that are grumpy and complaining all the time. Because I, because I see the spiritual need in the heart when we're not filled with thanksgiving, even if it is the last day. Paul said, I want to tell you what, I'm thanking God always for you guys. I'm glad you're there. His epistle is filled with thankfulness in spite of their struggles, in spite of, of their needs that they, that they have. He is thankful to them. What is he thankful for? Well, I think he, verse number For since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. Notice how many times that word occurs. Verse 2, to the saints. You see that? Look at verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He says, you know what? Even though it's, it's a terrible day, even though it's a beguiling day, even though it's a day of a terrible uh, Roman antichrist system and empire, I'm glad that there are still saints in the world and I'm glad that your church is not just a building with people in it, but there are saints in the building. One of these days the saints are going to go marching in. I like the word saints. We don't, we don't use it one for another. That's a powerful word. If you're saved by the good grace of God, you're you're a saint. You're a saint. Don't be fooled by that lie of the Catholic Church and all that have just certain saints. You know who the saints are? Look at verse 2. To the saints and faith, brethren of Christ, uh, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These saints are people that are recipients of the grace of God and the peace of God. Those that have received God's grace, those that have received His peace. Everybody doesn't have God's grace. 
They can, but everybody don't, they do not have it. But if you have received the grace of God, you're a saint. If God has put the peace, if there's peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, you've been made a saint. He's thanking God that they are those that God can give grace to, God can give peace to. And it's only from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll not find grace and peace anywhere else. Not only are they saints because they are recipients of God's grace and His peace. But look down to verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. To become a saint, you have to put your faith. Not your mom's faith, not your daddy's faith, not your pastor's faith, not faith of our father's holy faith, but your faith. You became a saint because you put your personal faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of that, because of that personal faith you put in the Lord, then you became a saint. Watch verse number 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? They heard the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is Christ's death, His burial, His resurrection according to the scriptures. They heard that good news that Christ paid for their sin. He rose from the dead. They heard that. They believed it. They put their personal faith in it. And so God Put them in the classification of those which are saints. He said, I'm I'm just glad you guys are saved. You know what? If you can't thank God for anything else, if you find somebody saved, just be be glad they're saved. Maybe you've got everything else going wrong in your life. But if you're a saint of God, if you're saved by the grace of God, you've got something to be thankful for. That God got you the gospel, you believe the gospel, that you believed it. And that he's given you his grace and his mercy because of it. Not only that, verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Saints are people who have a hope that's laid up in heaven. You know what the opposite of hope is? It's despair. How many people are in despair? Especially today. Especially in the last days. Our, our world, our society, people's homes, their lives, it's filled with despair. And he's saying in the middle of all of that, he says, you guys have hope. You have hope. Now, it's not hope in the way we use it. You know, you ask somebody if they're saved and they say, I hope so. That, that's not what he's talking about. Hope is one of those big three characteristics that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know. Faith. Hope and charity. Hope is not I'm just holding on and hoping out. That's not, no, hope is a, a sure and steadfast belief in your soul. The Bible talks about which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It's not just trying to get by. It's a sure and steadfast expectation of something that is coming. You guys have a hope, he said. It doesn't matter how, how awful Nero is. It doesn't matter how terrible the persecution is. It doesn't matter how many times you're disappointed. You are not in despair because you have a hope that is laid up for you. It's not a hope that you just have in your heart. It is a hope that is laid up for you. He said it this way in First Peter. 
He said, the Lord has begotten us again, that's the new birth, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that faith not away, reserved in heaven for you. We have a, we have a hope that keeps us from despair. By the way, that hope is not just heaven. He says that hope is reserved in heaven. You know, my, my hope is not, is not just another place. It's not even heaven. Look, I'll show it to you right here in this epistle. He says in verse number 23 of Colossians 1, well, what's your hope this morning? I tell you what, if you don't have the right hope, you're going to be in despair. Are, are you listening to me this morning? If you don't have the right hope, you will be in despair. Some people have all types of hopes and dreams and plans, and they never come true. And their life is guided by it. And when they don't reach that thing that they hoped for, then they don't have anything else to live for. What, what is your hope today? He talks about that hope in verse 23. If ye can... Continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? Keep reading, look at verse 27. Colossians 1, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. What does it say? What does it say? The hope of glory. The hope which is laid up for you. You know, you know who's in heaven? Your Savior's in heaven. You, you know, six times. You know, a lot of people don't understand even what hope he's talking about. They think it's just the hope of heaven or something. He said in Ephesians 1.18, under, your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope. What is the hope? Looking for that blessed hope. And that's not looking for your mansion. That's not looking for heaven. Heaven's up there, you're down here. But you're looking for that blessed hope. What is it? It's the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our hope. You know, six times in Romans chapter 8, it uses the word hope. And the creation has hope. And we're... He even says we're saved by hope. Now, 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 now try to put that in your theology. If you don't define the word hope right, you're going you're to have a problem right there. You're saved by hope? Well, yeah, you're saved by hope because the hope is Jesus Christ. He's the hope. And by the way, in Romans chapter 8, how does that apply to you? You know, a lot of times we think that God has laid up for us in heaven a hope as in a, a building. But you know what the Apostle Paul wrote? He said, he said if, the, if the building of your earthly tabernacle be dissolved. He's talking about your body. Listen to me now. He says if your body, it groans, it travails. He said in pain, he said your body, he says that earthly tabernacle, if it were dissolved, ye have a building of God. Eternal in the heavens. Now that's a place you're going to live in. That your soul's going to live in. Now think about that. He's not talking about 
a house you're going to live in. He's talking about just like this is a tabernacle for you. He has something prepared for you that your soul can live in forever. Not just a mansion with pretty things on the outside. And Romans chapter 8 tells us this is what we groan for. That hope of the redemption of the body. That God will clothe us with a body just like Jesus Christ. Just like these clothes right here hang on me this morning. Amen. This is what I believe. I believe God in heaven has a new set of clothes up there reserved in heaven for me. It's a a new body that I'm going to wear forever and ever and ever. I'm going to be just like him. Now let me ask you a question. If that is your hope, you don't have to be in despair. But if you've got another hope, you're going to be disappointed. You know what the psalmist said? He said, when I awake in thy likeness, I'll be satisfied. That's my hope. I know that even if, you know, even if worms are going to destroy this body, Job said, yet in my flesh shall I see God. God's got another house for me. And it's not going to grow old and it's not going to be weary and it's not going to hobble around and it's not going to be filled with sinful thoughts. The hope that is, that is an anchor for me, that's laid up for me, is that my Savior that's up there has a suit of clothes that He is going to change me and put me in and I'm going to be just like Jesus Christ. That's my hope. But now, watch this. How many Christians, that's not what they... That's not what their expectation is. Their expectation, their hope, just like we heard preached this week, is their own happiness. I just hope I can be happy in life. My hope is that I will be satisfied one day. From everything but the promise of God that one day You'll be changed into his image forever and ever. Guys, can you imagine these Colossian Christians as they're living in a, in a time where the Roman Empire hates Christians? And, they, you know, what hope do they have for their kids? I mean, I think about, you know, I announced this morning that, that they're going to make me a granddaddy by the grace of God. But, but look, if you were bringing children into a society where they were killing people that believe what we believe, Would that not be concerning? Would that not be sort of overwhelming? Am I just going to give birth to a child so that somebody can take them away from me or take my family into the Colosseum and feed us to the lions? I I don't know that these Colossians had any promise of any happiness or any fulfillment, but Paul reminds them this. He says, you have a hope. And it's laid up for you. It's it's not going to move. It's not going to go anywhere. It is sure. It is steadfast. It enters in within the veil. Whether the forerunner for us is entered. Even Jesus Christ. It's a sure thing. You know why we get disappointed? We got the wrong hope. Now let me ask you a question. If the hope of your life was just to be like Jesus. Wouldn't you be working on that now? Sure. 
and we work on so many things, so many other things. He says, I'm thanking God that you are a bunch of saints, and as saints, you've got the grace of God and the peace of God and personal faith in Christ after you heard that gospel, and you've got a hope laid up for you in heaven. Christ, which is our hope, he says also in 1 Timothy 1 1. He's our hope. If Jesus is your hope, how, you're not going to be disappointed. If making money is your hope, mm. if being healthy, if having a better job, better friends, you've got some despair coming. But if being like Jesus is your hope, you can let the Lord work on that every day until you see Him. He's thanking God for saints. Not only that, would you look at verse number 2 again? He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Now this is what I know. To be a saint, all you have to do is believe the gospel. He said that, he said, if you'll call on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a saint. That's easy. He not only thanks God for the saints in Colossae, he thanks God for the faithful brethren that are in Colossae. You know, all the saints aren't faithful. I'm sorry. I wish they were. All the saints aren't faithful. You know what thankfulness comes in other people's hearts. You know what thank, if, if we'll be faithful. Do you know what kind of thankfulness I believe will be in the heart of our Savior if He can find us faithful? He didn't find all His saints faithful. He didn't find all of His servants faithful. Or there would be no necessity to put well done, thou good and faithful servant in the Bible. Everybody that's a saint's not a faithful brother. It's easy to become a saint. Get saved. If you're not saved here this morning, you can be a saint. And you can have a hope laid up for you in heaven. And everything will be great. But being a faithful brother is a totally different deal. Paul says, boy, I thank God for all you people that are saved. He said, but I tell you what else. I I thank God for the faithful brethren that are there. Mm. You know how much more important that is as you're living in the last days of the church. I said, do you know how much more important that is when you're living in the last days of the church to find some faithful brethren? He said, forsaking not the assembling yourselves together as a matter of so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer the day gets, the more important it is for us to be faithful together. And the devil chips away on that and he works on our hearts. You know, we got, we got people that are saved that are part of our church, but they miss as much church as they come to. I, we love them. And I'm not picking on you because this is Sunday morning, but that, that's what happens a lot of times. Some, some people, they're just not faithful. They're saved. They're just not faithful. I'm sure glad they don't approach their job that way. Matter of fact, I don't know how you would keep a job if you're not on time. If you were always late to your job, would they say, what a blessing, you're so faithful being late. (laughs) Guys, why do we approach everything else 
differently than we do the things of God. Do you know God's keeping roll? You know, God knows how many services you've missed. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced some people don't even know how many services. You know, when I was a little boy, they used to give little trinkets for perfect attendance. Do you all remember that? I don't even remember what all that stuff was about, but I can just remember it at the back of my mind somewhere. Oh, you, you've been faithful all these weeks. And they gave us faithfulness. You, you had to be faithful, you know, if, if you never missed a Sunday or something like that. Maybe we weren't sick as much. I don't know. But they were all kind of people that got faithful attendance. Of course, getting quiet in it. I'm just saying, look, we thank God for everybody that's saved. We thank God for everybody that's in the church. But those faithful brethren just are a cause for so much thankfulness in the Apostle Paul. And it'll, wouldn't you want people, when they think of your name, say, well, thank God for brother so-and-so. Do you know how this church is still here after 65 years? Do you know the only reason this church is still here after 65 years? Because there were some faithful brethren here. They said, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to be a help. I'm going to be in my place. I'm going to be faithful to come. I'm going to be faithful to give. I'm going to be faithful to pray. Paul said, I just thank God for the faithful brethren. He named some of them. Look at verse 7. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Epaphras was this man. This man, uh, I believe, used to be the pastor of this church. Something happened that changed that. Look at chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. He, he was a Colossian. A servant of Christ. He faithfully served the Lord. Saluteth you always, there's that faithfulness, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. This is a faithful man. His love never waned. He continued to love the brethren like he always had. He continued to pray. How much, how faithful are we in prayer? He says, this Epaphras, he, he was faithful. He is your minister. He didn't quit. He just kept evangelizing. He kept preaching. You know who else is a faithful brother here at Colossae? Look at chapter 4, verse 9. Watch it. Colossians 4, 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. You see that? Onesimus was a Colossian. Now, you know why that's important? Because he didn't always used to be a faithful brother. He used to be a thief. <laughs> that's the book of Philemon. So Onesimus runs away after he steals from his master, whatever he did, whatever he... And he runs into the Apostle Paul in prison. <laughs> and Paul says, what are you in here for? <laughs> well, I stole from so-and-so. Oh, I know some people there. Who'd you steal from? Philemon? I know Philemon. Oh, what conviction. Paul started preaching to Onesimus the gospel. Onesimus got saved. Onesimus was a slave. But God took a slave and made him a faithful brother. 
Mm. You know what I probably believe about Onesimus? He knew what God saved him from. He knew that he was nothing. He knew that he was not worthy. He knew that he was guilty. And when God saved him and changed his life, he didn't take the place of slave in the church. He took the place of faithful, beloved brother in the church. Well, there's a testimony of Christianity. If anybody ever tries to malign Christianity about slavery and all that, you need to look at how Onesimus is counted to be a faithful, beloved brother in the assembly just like everybody else. Doesn't matter how lowly he was. You know, maybe he was faithful because he said, I tell you what, God's done so much for me, I can't quit on him. I I can't quit doing right. You know, maybe people quit being faithful because they have too high opinion of themselves and they forgot what they got saved from. Are you listening? And all of a sudden we get respectable. And when we get respectable, then, then we can let things slip because after all, I mean, we've got... But Onesimus never got over it. I say that people that never get over their salvation are faithful, become faithful people. I got to be there. I've got to keep praying. I've got to keep witnessing. And I'm not just talking about faithful in attendance or faithful in prayer, but here's what I've noticed. People that aren't faithful in those things usually quit being faithful in their lifestyle. Are you listening to me? Their lifestyle begins to change. And Paul just says, boy, I sure am glad I can count on Epaphras, and I sure am glad I can count on Onesimus. And while I'm talking about him, you've got to remember the little book of Philemon. Because Philemon was also a faithful brother. He was so faithful that he opened up his house when the church got started. I believe the church at Colossae, when it began met in Philemon's house. He just opened up his house. Now I tell you what, you talk about a faithful brother and let all the, all the church people and all their bratty kids, snotty those kids come to your house. So, so, some of you don't want people to come to your house as it is, but how would you like the whole church at your house? wonder how many things they broke at Philemon's house. Come on now. wonder how many, wonder how many crayons got drawn draw on the wall and on the... If you think it's an easy thing to have a church in your house, you had not thought about that too long. Wonder how many times the septic got stopped up. I'd say a man's house ain't made for everybody to go to the bathroom there. This man sacrificed, and sure, he probably was a man of means. Sure, he probably had a bigger house than everybody else there. Sure, God had blessed him. I understand that. But he said, hey, what I've got, I'm going to open it up to the work of God, and whatever God wants to use. This was a faithful man, Philemon. Faithful man. And Paul says, boy, God sure has blessed your church. I know it's bad. I know the news you're getting out of Rome is really bad. I know I'm a prisoner. And by the way, Epaphras, who used to be their pastor, he's, he's going to go see Paul. He's going to wind up in jail too. He's going to become a fellow prisoner. But look at all the faithful brothers we have. He mentions another one in chapter 1. Would you look at verse 7? Besides verse 7, he says, excuse me, drop down to verse uh, Where's Archippus? That's chapter, yeah, chapter 4, I'm sorry. Chapter 4, verse 17. 
Here's another brother that's faithful. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Here's what looks like happens. Epaphras used to pass the church. He goes to minister to Paul or he gets thrown in prison. And now Archippus, the work of God is turned over to Archippus. If you remember the book of Philemon, when, when Paul begins to write, one of the first people he greets is, Ar, is, is uh, did I say Archippus? Er, yeah, Archippus, the, one of the first people he greets. He is the guy that's given the ministry. In other words, Epaphras was a good pastor. But thank God when he had to go to prison or, or whatever happened to him in his ministry, he had to, God moved him on. There was someone waiting in the wings to be faithful just like he was faithful. Do you see that? If our chippers had not been faithful, they wouldn't have, who would have been their pastor? Oh, aren't all of us moving off the scene of life? Who is going to step in and be the next faithful husband and, and the next faithful servant of God and, and the next faithful Sunday school teacher and, and the next faithful preacher and the next faithful worker? Colossi, though, they had persecution. They had faithful people there. And I wonder, can God count on you and I to be faithful? Multiple men. He thanks God for them, that they're saints. He thanks God for the faithful brethren. And then he thanks them for something else. And I'm finished. Colossians chapter 1. He says in verse number 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. He thanks them for loving each other. He said, I'm so thankful that you've got a church where you love all the saints. Now you say, why is that important? Well, because he didn't say that you love all the faithful brethren. That's, that's the easier one. It's easier to love the faithful brethren. It's harder to love all, all the saints. He says, you guys love, now it didn't say they love the wicked, but you love all the saints. There's a real love in your heart. And did, is that not what Jesus told us? He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for the other. He said, he said I'm thankful that you love each other. And you don't love just each other. Look at verse number 8. Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. In other words, they loved all the saints that were there in the church. They were a very loving church. But they also sent their love to the Apostle Paul by Epaphras, whom they had not seen. You know... How hard is it to fall in love with somebody that you don't know? They love Paul. They've never seen him. They love. He did not preach to them. 
But they said to Ephesus, they said, we want you to go to Paul and we want you to minister to him and we want you to give him our love in the spirit. Though we can't hug him, spiritually speaking, just pass our love along to him. And may I say, love is a spiritual thing. The fruit of the spirit is. You, you can't really love. Love is not what people say. I mean. People, people think love is some emotion. People think love is just giving in to people. You know what? God says this. If you really love your child, you'll discipline your child. Not out of anger. No. Out of correction. You know why people don't discipline their children? Because they don't love their children. The Bible said if you don't, if you don't discipline that child, you hate him. That's what God said. That's what God said. Why did he say that? Because I'll tell you why. The reason we won't discipline our children is because we're in love with us. And it makes us feel bad when we have to discipline them. We're concerned about our feelings. Or we're concerned about the child's feelings instead of loving the child enough to give the child the discipline that will shape the child's character and to save their soul from hell, God says. He says, you've got love to all the saints and you're sending your love to me and you don't even know me. But you have such a spiritual heart that you're able to show love just like you have to be spiritual to show love to that child when you don't want to do it. They, they have a spiritual nature. They show love to the Apostle Paul. You know what that reminds me of? And I think it's so apropos to the meaning of this epistle. He says, you've never seen me, but you're sending me your love. You know what, you know what rings in my ear? Whom having not seen, ye love. Though now ye see him not, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's First Peter chapter 1. It's a picture of how, hey, are we going to be a people that love the Lord? I've never seen Jesus Christ. Nobody, not even the fake charismatic people, they ain't, they've not seen Jesus Christ. But I love Him and I want that to be the guide of my heart, the compass of my soul. In these last days that, that I'm known for loving Him. What, what, did, what did Paul say when he ends his life? He says, there's a crown for me. He's, he's ending his life. I fought a good fight, finished course, kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all unto all them also that love is appearing. The Lord says this in these last days, can you stay in love with me? You've not seen me, but will you love me? Will there be a generation of God's people that go out when Jesus comes and there'll be a group that are not only saints and there'll be a group that have not been faithful, but there's a group that have love to the one that they've never seen. You know what I believe? I can believe you could even be faithful and not love the Lord like you ought to love the Lord. It's just like that child, that young person in that house does everything they're supposed to do because if they don't, they know they're going to get in trouble. But that doesn't mean they have love in their heart 
from mom and daddy. You see the difference? You can be a saint, you can be faithful, but where's our hearts? Are our hearts on one another? Are our hearts on the one that we cannot see? He said that you have, they've declared unto me your love in the Spirit. It came from your heart being yielded to God. And the Spirit of God has filled your heart and He's brought love. And it doesn't matter what's going on in Washington, D.C. or Rome or who, who's in control or how hard your life is. The Spirit of God's brought love in your heart and you're showing it to others and you're showing it to me. Love in the Spirit. Love of the Spirit. Romans fifteen thirty. That love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which He's given to us. He's saying you keep in touch with Jesus and keep that love light beaming. Keep the love burning. Thank God that you're saved. Thank God that you're faithful. But I thank God for your love.